Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and it is Friday. That means it's time for the Friday conversation. And unfortunately, uh, we're down to three. Yulene couldn't make it tonight, but we will press on without her. <laughs> she will be she'll be missed. Uh, so let's go around the room and just introduce everybody. Christopher, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Christopher Warman. I am uh, an author. I'm always weird to say that, but yes, I'm, I'm an author. Uh, I co-wrote Seasons of Albedon in the uh, Eighth Chance series with uh, my wife, Elon, who uh, unfortunately could not make it today. Uh, she would have loved to, but she's quite busy. But that's who I am. Nice. Yeah, um, so I'm RJ from RJ Reads. Um, I changed the channel name. Uh, last week <laughs> so um, but yeah I, I mainly talk about um, fantasy I've started to uh, diverge a bit more um, I've started reading sci-fi I've also started reading historical fiction as well so yeah that's that's, that's basically what I do um, but but thank you so much Steve for for having me on today this is it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to both of you for uh, for joining me today. Uh, it's, Fridays are always fun because we get to just kind of BS about books and random stuff. So, but yeah. since uh, you know, since Christopher is here, I wanted to ask both of you from different you know from different perspectives on characters, because in Seasons of Babylon, you have characters that usually are like side characters, characters you usually don't get to know much of, but you become invested in them. So I wanted to ask Christopher how to write characters like that how to get the reader invested and of course rj i want to ask you from a reader's perspective how what makes you get invested in a character yeah uh, i mean from it's kind of an interesting question because um i, I really like to get into my characters heads uh, especially whenever um i wrote seasons of all the done with my wife we um as you said we focused really on the the smaller characters in a larger fantasy world you know one of the characters is a uh, a foreman who you know is digging for oil in the in the woods. Uh, another character is this uh, one of the people that works for the foreman. He's an alcoholic father. And, you know, it, it's all these smaller characters that make up this this larger fantasy world. So we really wanted to hone in and uh, try to um, break down what makes each of these characters tick. Um, obviously, with uh, with Handel, the alcoholic father, it was really fun to I mean fun, but in a dark way, it was it was really intriguing to get to you know get into that headspace of an alcoholic who blames uh, everything but himself for his uh, you know addiction and, and his uh, his problems. Where uh, you know you can have a little bit of nuance that way. Um, yeah, I just really like to get into the characters' heads, um, uh, try to reveal without getting into too much spoilers. There, there's a few twists and turns in the series, and try to reveal those. <laughs> In this, I mean, in, in the book, uh, try to reveal those twists through, you know, uh, what the character doesn't know, you know, uh, removing the information from the character. That's always really fun. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't like to write in a omniscient voice where, you know, uh, you know everything that's going on. You know just as much as the characters do. So I, I always really like to write that way. I, um, as I was writing uh, the the book, uh, the as I was doing the first vomit draft. I was reading uh, Assassin's Apprentice, and it was just kind of that inspiration of, oh my God, this is exactly, you know, the feeling that I want to convey with these characters. Is I don't know if either of you has read uh, Robin Hobb uh, and Farseer, but um, the first book in particular, it's from the first point of view, and it's written almost as a, a like a diary, 
So we only know what the character knows and we piece the information uh, based on what the character gives us. So it's very much an unreliable narrator. Um, Seasons of Albedo doesn't quite do that because it's written from the third person, but I try to convey that sort of unreliable narrator, especially with the chapters where, you know, you follow Handel, who's an alcoholic. He's pretty much the most unreliable narrator that I've ever written and as unreliable as it gets, really. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, how I like to write, just really getting into the, the psyche and the issues that uh, plague certain characters. And RJ, what about you as a reader? How do you, what makes you get attached yourself to characters? Um, I would say um, this is this is actually quite interesting because um, I don't relate a lot to characters that much, um, like on a personal or an, or an emotional level. Really, you know, it takes like a really special character to get like like really strong emotions out of me. So for some, like uh, Christopher mentioned, a Fitz from the Farseer trilogy, that would be a, an example of a character that that brings those emotions out of you because you're in his head you know with the first person with you know and um what what gets me related more to characters or what interests me more in in characters is are they an interesting person you know are they you know these in, if they're more intriguing um that's what gets me more invested in the character you know if they're complex and they have these deep emotions and you know, as well, um, the way that they interact with other characters as well, you know, like dialogue exchanges are one of my favorite parts of, of reading fantasy is just seeing two characters uh, interact and go against each other, you know, so hmm. yeah, so that would be, that'd be something. Yeah, even as a reader, I think that that's one of my favorite things is, especially when you see two different characters that, you know, seemingly they're from two different worlds, especially whenever you have different POVs. And then finally, you see those characters interact. Um, obviously, Song of Ice and Fire, Wheel of Time, these series do that really well. Um, that's always like one of my favorite things. And uh, I can't read, I've written that in Seasons of Baldadon on a very small scale because obviously it takes place in a very small uh, area. Uh, but I can't wait to get to write something like that on a bigger scale where I have characters from uh, different parts of the world interacting. I, 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 for me, that that's one of the best things about fantasy is watching these characters interact uh, that you've followed from different POVs. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And how how is it, um, what is it like writing from an unreliable narrator standpoint? Is that difficult? Um, it is, it, it's actually, I mean, reading it is also difficult because you're having to, to piece together exactly what's going on uh, from different narrators, especially if you have different points of view. Um, but writing it is, is quite hard as well because you know what the greater picture is, you know what the story is, and you're slowly having to, you know, remove the puzzle pieces um, and deciding exactly what, you know, what the character is conveying to the audience, uh, to the reader. Um, I've had issues, uh, especially with the, the current draft of the uh, the, uh, the sequel to Seasons of Alpha that I've been writing, um, where I've had a character reveal too much, um, something that they wouldn't have known, for example. 
And then uh, Elon, my wife and co-writer, she will point that out. She'll be like, hey, wait a minute. This character shouldn't know this. Um, so yeah, it's really just removing the puzzle pieces as you lay them down is, uh, I usually, for with the first draft, I try to put down all the puzzle pieces and then slowly I start to remove them and start to say, hey, wait a minute, this character shouldn't know this, this puzzle piece. And, um, I give it to another character. And, um, I, I, as a writer, as as a reader, I really like play, uh, putting puzzle pieces together. Uh, you know, kind of putting the story uh, um, or piecing the story together as I read it. Um, so I, I try to do that as an author as well. Hmm. What about you, RJ? Do you like reading from that perspective, or is it? Um, do you, what do you think about that? Um, I, uh, for the unreliable narrator. Um, I, I kind of like that. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot more intriguing because you're second guessing everything that, um, that the character is saying, you know, and you don't know what's, you know, what's true, what's not. But then also on the other hand, you know, sometimes you're not in the mood for that and mm -hmm. you don't want to be constantly second guessing what characters are thinking or what characters are saying. So, um, yeah, but it's something about, you know, reading that I love you know, you know, seeing that, um, yeah. What are some, uh, what are some series currently in, uh, that caught your eye? What, what's, what are you reading currently? Um, I'm reading, um, so I'm re currently reading book four of the Dandelion Dynasty by Ken oh. Liu, so that's Speaking Bones. Um, that's probably going to be like my favorite series that I've ever read. Like that's, that series is just phenomenal. Um, it is like, yeah, like like Wall of Wall of Storms is my favorite book. Um, it just has everything that I love about fantasy in it. Um, it has, you know, the the action is very much a more rather than like a Joe, Joe Abercrombie or John Gwynn, where you're in the mud for a lot of it. Um, you, it's it's a lot more tactical, and it's a lot more bird's eye view, and that's something. I find I find a bit more interesting when it comes to action. Um, there's great political intrigue. Um, the The characters are so deep and complex and philosophical. Um, everything about about Ken Liu's writing is just brilliant. It's the prose is there's a certain magic to his prose that you just hear. You, he just writes a paragraph and you can dissect that paragraph. You know, it's, you know, Ken, I, I could talk about Ken Liu all day. Um, <laughs> he's such a phenomenal writer. I haven't read his um his short, well, I've read two of his short stories, um, The Paper Menagerie and Good Hunting. And he's a phenomenal uh, short form writer as well, which um, I think is, is a lot harder to do. Like he packs a punch in 15 pages of uh, The Paper Menagerie. And I think he does that. He does that so well. You know, I don't think there's there's authors that can't do that in like whole trilogies, but he can pack as much emotion in in fifteen pages. It's it's phenomenal. It really is. That's awesome. That's very promising. That's right on my uh, TBR. Uh, I have the first book on my shelf, ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever the mood strikes me. Um, I'm quite deep in parse here right now, so it's it's very hard to you know move away from that at the moment. Yeah, uh, um, I, I would. Yeah, 
I would say about the Grace of Kings is that it's very different from what you get in the next three books. So Grace of Kings is very much a prologue to to the to the actual story, um, and is very much inspired by Chinese history as well. So like the Han Dynasty, it takes a lot of inspiration from that. So hmm. you know, it's, it's great. Series. It's a phenomenal series. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm a, a, as a, a reader. I I started reading really late uh, with fantasy. I've only been into the. Uh, I mean, I used to read fantasy as a kid. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I was really big into Aragon, <laughs> that, that sort of stuff. Um, whenever I was a kid, but uh, I took a really long break with uh, reading. Uh, it wasn't really my thing until I want to say maybe five years ago, and. Uh, I really had a lot to catch up on. Um, I read all of like Wheel of Time, A Song of Ice and Fire, all that. Uh, what they would call recommended reading, uh, which you know that's debatable, but uh, or not recommend. I mean, like required. Some people would call it required reading, which I think recommended is a better word. I don't believe anything is uh, required, but um, I have been reading through everything. So at the moment, once I finish uh, Farce here, I'm pretty much free I, with the big series i uh i can pretty much read whatever i want <laughs> which is uh you know i can read whatever i want right now but uh, i still haven't read uh stormlight i still haven't read uh, pretty much anything brendan sanderson so i don't know if that's mm. required or recommended <laughs> yeah makes two of us yeah uh and then alicia's here i think there's uh her channel's coming soon i think alicia's channel is coming soon so i'm looking forward to that and uh, Drew's here. Happy Friday, everyone. <laughs> Happy to see RJ on Friday Conversations. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Derry uh, says, I think the unreliable narrator is easier for parents to read. We've had kids come home from something and tell us a story, and we think, hmm, what really happened? <laughs> <laughs> you you got to piece yeah. together what happened at school from the, the shrugs and the, the silences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you do at school? Uh, nothing. Yeah. Never nothing. So, uh, Christopher, what, what made you get into fantasy five years ago? What was it that made you decide, I'm going to dive deep into this? So this is actually, it's very strange. So I, um, uh, while I was at work, I was actually, um, I would do like two-hour commutes back and forth. It was, it was horrible uh, on the train. And I would just be on my phone playing games and all that. And then, I don't know, someday I was watching a YouTube video. And uh, strangely enough, it was uh, Daniel Green was recommended. Uh, and it was like a review of a Wheel of Time book, which I'd never read at the time. And I just opened the book, uh, the video. He was like a really small creator at the time, not really doing much. And for some reason, you know, thank the algorithm uh, that got recommended to me. And I watched the video and I said, oh, that sounds cool. So I just bought the first book, Eye of the World, and uh, I read it on the train. And I started to realize, oh, that's a much better use of my time. You know, four hours a day spent on the train. I might as well get some reading out of the way. And so I just compiled a TBR of everything that r slash fantasy uh, would recommend uh, on their, you know, uh, recommended re reading lists. Um, and so I just read through pretty much everything I could get my hands on. Five years later, you know, here I am. And uh, my, my passion for fantasy uh, writing has rekindled that way. So, you know, I, I always thank booktubers and I love to support booktubers because you know, without them, I wouldn't have written. Uh, I wouldn't have read as much as I did. So, oh. 
to go from playing your game, playing games on your phone during your commute to writing a book in yeah. about like four, that's, that's, yeah, it's quite an accomplishment. Also, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but thank the pandemic for that too, because I, I did lose my job um, at the, you know, peak pandemic at the very beginning of uh, 2020. And uh, I didn't have a job for nine months and I had, you know, loose strings of a manuscript, uh, random pieces of dialogue, whatever. And, uh, you know, after a couple months of not working and just being home and gaming and reading and not really doing much else, I thought to myself, hey, it might be a, a while before I actually get a you know, full-time job. If I, I always wanted to write something. I said, if not now, then when? So I just mm -hmm. sat down and treated it like a nine to five. I literally just would wake up, make coffee, write for five to six hours nonstop. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. Wow. So, so sometimes, you know, there's something to be said about having the time to do it because now that I actually do have a nine to five, it's in trying to write a sequel that's about double the size of Seasons of Alvajon. It's, it's, it's tough. I don't have the time. I wish I really did. Hmm. Wow. What about you, RJ? Are you a, a writer or just a reader like me? <laughs> no, I, I couldn't write for, for shit. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just... Yeah, I'm just a reader. I got into fantasy um, only about two years ago. Um, and again, that would be the pandemic uh, to blame for that. Um, I had been a fan of like Harry Potter for years at that point. You know, I'd start watching the films when I was like four or five years old. Um, and then during pan the pandemic, I decided I wanted to get back into reading. I had read a few things. I had read like The Hunger Games when it was popular. I had read mm -hmm. Maze Runner as well um so i decided i wanted to get into adult fantasy for some reason um i had seen a, a daniel green video i'd heard about wheel of time um and other series like that and the first series i decided to start was Mistborn because everyone mm. was saying that was great a uh, great series to start with so i read the final empire and the rest the rest is history as they say <laughs> um so yeah um it's, what it's been the, a great uh, it's been a great journey so far yeah how long ago did you start uh having a channel is it pretty recent i started in october of last year um but i was uploading like quite sporadically at that point um i think i've started uploading recently since like march of this year that's when i've started to really you know buckle down and and mm -hmm. try and upload videos on a on a somewhat regular basis, um, because at the time I was just uploading whatever came to mind, and I was also very nervous about recording anything because I thought I was going to sound like an idiot. I mean, <laughs> I kind of I kind of still do, but you know, I'm more confident idiot. Yeah. Yeah, that's the hardest thing about recording yourself. I, I've done it a few times, and. It's mm -hmm. I hate it. I cannot stand to see myself. So I can never, I can never do anything like that. Yeah, it's it's weird hearing your voice back for the first time. It's so weird. Yeah, it is. It is weird. <laughs> what would you say made you want to uh, do book two? Is it more of a you know uh, like a writing or a, sorry like a reading uh, journal or is it like you want to recommend series to people? Um, or, like breakdowns like what is your favorite part of the book to you experience um 
I would say it's um, originally what I wanted to do was I had an idea for for videos that I would go over scenes from books. So like um, I have a video, like my second, the second video on my channel is about the ending of Royal Assassin. And it's essentially a breakdown of me just going over the events of what happened, like in the last 60 pages of, of Royal Assassin. That's what I kind of wanted to do at the start because it was content that I wanted to see, but nobody was obviously making it. Um, and then it kind of transitioned into um, just doing whatever, uh, you know, tags and reviews and stuff like that, you know, because those videos took like a lot of effort because I would actually go back and reread like those sections so I could get, you know, the feeling of, of reading it of reading it again. So I so in the hope that it would um, come out in the video. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I actually have never seen very rarely do you see uh, a channel really breaking down passages rather than whole books. Mm -hmm. yeah, really cool. yeah. yeah, it's challenging too, because when, when you when you get that close, and you zoom in like that, you have to know what you're talking, you know, at least do your homework and be prepared for it. than just more of a general mm -hmm. broad um, you know thoughts on it yeah like i did um another one that i did was on the there's a chapter in last argument of kings the third book in the first law trilogy called the circle and amongst first law fans that's a very popular and very famous uh chapter from that trilogy and i could have very easily gone to a wiki or something and looked up the events of what happened during the circle chapter but i actually wanted to go back and read it because you know again it would it would bring out hopefully it would bring out you know the feelings that you get you know when you're reading the chapter at least the feelings i had when i was reading it so that's awesome that's uh definitely encouraging me to check these videos out at least once <laughs> i uh first love I, I haven't read first law yet so i know that that's kind of a must read hmm yeah, I thought it was okay. I wasn't, I mean, I thought it was good. I'm not as crazy about it, but I thought it was good. Yeah. How would you say, uh, once again, you know, as a newish reader, you know, just about five years, uh, my reading, reading schedule and reading style, I'm very slow. Um, I have a very hard time picturing things in my head. So I have to read and reread passages, uh, over and over again to actually make sense of them sometimes. Um, so for me, you know, especially going through these massive series like Wheel of Time, for example, took me a good three years to actually finish. Uh, and that's, you know, 14 books. That's quite long. And in between, I, I would intersplice smaller books just to retain my sanity because I, I can't <laughs> I can't do that. But um, I just wanted to ask both of you as readers, uh, how do you manage these bigger series? Do you uh, are you a binger? Do you, read through everything uh, or are you more of a mood reader you know what catches your fancy online you just pick up and read or um, like it, it, it what's the method to your madness I guess good question go ahead RJ yeah um I'm very sporadic like I try to form a TBR and then the TBR gets thrown out the window like two days later and we're just reading whatever comes to mind that's that's essentially what I do um Sometimes I binge series like I read The Dark Tower by Stephen King. I read that quite quickly. Like I think I read that in 
a couple of months, I think. And that's a seven book series. And some of those books are not, they're not thin. Yeah. Um, and for example, like the first law trilogy, I think it took me 10 months to read that because I took like long breaks, like in between those books. So mine is just all over the place. <laughs> it's just whatever I, I need to embrace being a mood reader, but you know, I, I try to stick to a TBR, but it never works <laughs> ever. <laughs> TBRs are suggestions. They're, yeah. they're not, you know, they're not sitting stone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just a, they're not a, not a promise, just a, maybe it'll happen. Yeah. But for me, I, once I start a series, I try to finish it, you know, like a book a month once I start a trail or a series, because otherwise I'll forget, especially in fantasy, I'll forget who's who because of the names. And if I'm reading too many fantasy books back to back, then I get people mixed up. <laughs> so I have to try and focus in on it. And it, I would like to do more mood reading, but I'm, I'm weird about that. I'd have to, once I start, if it's finished, I need to stick with it. That's kind of how I am, um, especially, you know, not being able to really picture people that well. Uh, you know, I, I only go, I, I can only form an attachment of, a, of an image through a person's name. Hmm. And uh, if I read a series all at once, that name keeps getting hammered into, you know, into my brain. So that really helps. Um, I really wish I could do mood reading, but it's just not something that I can possibly do. But I really appreciate um, Realm of the Elderlings just because it's divided in trilogies. Mm -hmm. So I can, you know, read a trilogy, read a couple other books, then read another trilogy. And, and that's been really great. I Once I finished uh, Lightship, I think I read three standalone books, a couple uh, literary classics. and. Um, I read uh, Left, Hand of uh, Left Hand of Darkness, which is, you know, classic fantasy uh, uh, sci-fi, and uh, and then back into uh, uh, Tawny Man trilogy. So it's, I, I really appreciate that. Um, it makes it easier to to go through a series without having to read the entirety of, you know, the whole thing. Mm. I can take a little break in between. Yeah. It is nice to have broke it up a little bit. And, uh, Bailey Books and Sport had a question for RJ. Uh, where on the island of Ireland <laughs> is RJ from? Um, I'm from uh, this uh, this small. It's a it's a smaller town. It's called Ballymena in uh, County Antrim. So I'm from Northern Ireland rather than the the Republic. Um, so also a fun fact. Um, this is also the town that Liam Neeson uh, grew up in. So you know that's a that's a fun. That's a fun fact for people. Um, so I live about uh, forty minutes, about about forty minutes outside of Belfast. So, which is the which is the capital? It, it's so Liam Neeson is so different because um, you know he he was just like an actor who did you know like Star Wars and things like that, but he became an action and like an action movie star late in the, you know mm -hmm. that was like his sixties or fifties or sixties. It's really strange that he yeah. took that turn hmm. that was yeah it was very weird um no Do, yeah but I people are, like, lots of Liam Liam uh Liam quotes around around you do people quote him a lot no not really um he's not he's not really a person that's that's talked about that much we don't like we don't brag about Liam Neeson um <laughs> I'm 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 originally from like a smaller 
like a small village about 20 minutes outside of out here so um yeah i moved here about two years ago hmm. so, i feel like he's um, more of a maybe an american action star except you know mm-hmm. he's from he's, he's originally from there but he's an american action star that's a good point yeah. yeah and i'm glad he still kept the accent like that's how yeah people from from Balamina sound <laughs> And uh, Eric, Eric said, I bet publishers and brewer distillers were sad to see the lockdown end. Yeah, I'm sure they were. I mean, it, it was kind of a double-edged sword for uh, publishers just because uh, in peak lockdown, there was that, uh, you know, that backup for uh, paper uh, and printing. Um, they were printing books much slower and uh, the costs were quite high um, just because there were less people working at, at the prints. Uh, and... Uh, um, there was the, uh, you know, backup of uh, supplies like ink and paper. So it was actually quite difficult for them. Um, I think publishers specifically probably enjoyed it. Um, brewers, distillers, I'm not sure why they would be sad. I think. I think people stayed home and uh, I think they, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, people drank more at home. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was the same in Northern Ireland, but in, uh, in the U.S. probably. Uh, people drink at home more than they do. We're, we're well known for our drinking. <laughs> we drink a lot. That's a stereotype that's unfortunately very true. We we do drink a lot. <laughs> so, it is what it is. I would say that that's true for a lot of places, honestly. Like the, the stereotype mm. isn't there for you know the US, but I'd say the US drinks quite a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, and uh, Alicia had a question, um, <laughs> which is a really good question. Um, let, me see, let me go back up. Sorry. Uh, how co- how do you get comfortable with filming yourself? I've been part of live lives, and I'm more comfortable in that part than, than part of it. But when it comes to filming myself, I don't know what holds me back. Yeah. Do you think? Um, it, it's honestly, it's it's just doing it. It's just doing it over and over again. You know, the more you do it, the more you'll just get used to it. Um, like, I feel like now I talk to my webcam as much or probably more than most of my family members. So, um, honestly, it's just, is just repetition. It's just, just keep doing it. And eventually you'll just get comfortable with it. And it's second nature too. You know, it's no, I'm sorry. I don't have like a longer answer to that, but you know, it's, it's in my experience anyway, it's. Yeah. You know, that's that's how I got used to it. And I, I think lives really help out uh, live streams mm-hmm. because you um, you don't have the. I think it's easier to relax because you know you can't edit it out later. Because when you rely on because editing is nice because you can edit out all those mistakes and you can rephrase things on the fly. But when you know you don't have that, like now, you have to kind of <laughs> be more careful with your words and kind of think things through a little bit more. Kind of speak. Because um, you can have editing kind of like as a crutch, it is hard to to edit yourself at first because it it seems weird mm. staring at yourself and all the weird noises and things, you, all the stupid things you say. But <laughs> but you just kind of uh, it's one of those things where you just kind of let it go and just stop caring as much. It do, it does take mm. some time though, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like like I'm a like I'm still a dumbass, so I I just embrace it now. So. <laughs> Yeah. So if I say something dumb, you know what? It's out, it's out there. Don't, don't care. <laughs> yeah. 
you know. Yeah, you just have to get to that point where it's like, well, yeah, I said it, so you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I think with legs, the benefit is that you can bounce off of each other as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. those silences and, and all that kind of stuff. I I used to have um, this is a, a little bit of a lore. <laughs> I used to have a semi-successful uh, music reviewing channel uh, oh. that um, used to give me quite a bit of anxiety, uh, and I ended up uh, deleting it uh, just because. Mm. You know, it, it was years ago, and I, I just didn't like to stare at myself. The idea of being um, online that way really freaking out. So it's not for me. I know it isn't. Um, now I just kind of do the occasional video. I have more of a meme parody channel. <laughs> I've done some booktube parody videos and some, some random one-offs. Uh, I'm more comfortable with that just because the format is a little bit more jokey. I, I don't take myself... Uh, very seriously, but I, yeah, I, as someone who professionally edited, uh, I used to be a professional uh, editor. Um, I still kind of am, uh, just on the side. But I used to actually that was used to be my my full time job, um, and I used to edit blogs and hmm. promotional videos for other people, and it was it was a nightmare sifting through hours of just. You know, uh, people just staring at the screen, cutting all the ums, and I just couldn't do it for myself. It's just not. So I mean, kudos, booktubers really. You know, they're they're brave. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. I I didn't know you, I didn't realize you had a music review channel. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't like huge. I had like I think two K subs, so it was, mm. it was it was decent. Um, and yeah, it just. It kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to watch all those, like in the rock and heavy metal scene. I used to watch like all those music reviews back in the day. <laughs> you know, because I was when I was getting really big into that. Um, those those guys were helpful for the for the most part. Now I just don't care. I'll listen to whatever I want. <laughs> really. Yeah, I listen. To, I still listen to a lot of music. I just. Um, Part of it was also I just really didn't feel comfortable being a reviewer while I used to be in a lot of bands as well and we were trying mm -hmm. to like about music. I didn't feel comfortable being a reviewer and uh mm -hmm. you know making music as well. It just didn't feel right. Uh, and even now, like, you know, as a an author, uh I really don't feel comfortable ever doing a, a serious booktube channel where I'm reviewing other people's work. Um I'd say, you know, leave reviewing to reviewers kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be tough. And I wonder about that, too, as, a, as an author, if you, um, you know, because if you read a book and you don't enjoy it, for whatever reason, if it's just done right, you just not for you, then it, it must be a strange position to be in because you're kind of in that circle. So it's, it's a, is that strange? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, knowing what's bad is, is very easy. You know, you, you read something and it's bad. It's, you know, that, that's an easy call. But for me, for for general, like I do have a Goodreads page and it's, I find it very hard to rate anything below a four star just because it's, it's that it's, you know, I can write that, you know, I, I'm reading even the worst books from the Wheel of Time series that are, you know, very often reviled. I just can't bring myself to hate them just because I can do it. You know, it's, 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 it's hard as a, as an author, I actually, uh, there's a, a quote by um, 
Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the duo. Uh, this is neither here nor there, but they're a music duo, uh, 100 Gex. They do very wacky, very weird type of glitchy music. Uh, but one of the two, um, they had an interview with uh, music review site Pitchfork, and they have this weird take on appreciating music that anytime they listen to a song, they think to themselves, if a friend of mine said, hey, I made a song, can you listen to it? And this was the song that they gave me. I'd probably be impressed, even if it was a song by a, you know, like an awful pop song. If a friend of yours gives you a book, and it's usually a book you wouldn't like, but you read through it and you, you think to yourself, oh, my friend did this, you know, it's still impressive. And that's kind of how I, I see, you know, reviewing books and music as a as a creator as an author as a musician is if a friend if a friend gave me this book i just wouldn't it, it wouldn't feel right to give it you know one or two two stars you know it just so i just don't so i just don't review i don't know if that uh that means anything to, to you but you know as an author i find it very hard to uh be harsh no, it's, it makes yeah. sense, and it's, uh, you know, to not be so critical, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I always try to find something to love, but but then again, I have, I do have a few one, two-star reviews on my Goodreads. I, one that's infamous, there is a guy in my neighborhood here in Los Angeles who left copies of this book on the windshield of every car wow. in the neighborhood. And I'm talking, this was a hardback, like a big, bulky hardback. He left these giant hardbacks on the windshield of cars. And it was on my car and I picked it up and I said, okay, this, this is a free book. Let's see what it's like. It was very well um, packaged, very well bound. The cover was really interesting. Um, and I read it and it was probably the worst thing I've ever read in my life. Um, I mean, what could I expect from a book I found on my car? Um, yeah, I, I, it was so interesting. Like it, it was interesting because it was very philosophical, but it was also just kind of the the sexual ravings of a boomer and it was just very strange and very awkward. Um, I ended up looking into the guy. I don't want to like name him to, you know, I, I don't want to give him any hate because he actually seems like a really interesting dude. But I, <laughs> turns out that a few years ago, he tried to get one of his books into uh, UCLA, the college here, and the library wouldn't allow it because it, they were just like, it has no merit whatsoever to be in our library. So what he did is <laughs> he, he brought to the to UCLA campus boxes of his novel, like sealed boxes, and he placed them around the campus. And so the school called in a bomb threat. <laughs> they thought they were under attack um, because obviously if there's boxes all over the campus that are, you know, locked. Uh, that are taped up and nobody knows what they are. That seems very suspicious. So they call the bomb threat, and I, I believe he is banned from campus. Um, but yeah, what an interesting guy. Um, not a good marketer, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not a good way to market his book. I, I guess he went he, he went from uh, from placing unlabeled boxes on a campus to leaving his book on green shields of colors. So that's a step up, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so did you read the whole book? Did you finish it? Um, no, but I, I wanted it at some point, but I read a good like two thirds of it. Um, that was one of the books that I would bring on the train. And after a while, I felt very uncomfortable having that book 
on the train with me just because it got it got very graphic and hmm. very uh, uncomfortable. Wow. And that kind of leads into uh, Tall Guy Reads' uh, comment. Uh, RJ is not afraid to DNF a book, and I appreciate that. <laughs> That's definitely something I'm trying to improve on when I, I'm truly not enjoying something in the moment. Yeah, that's that's what I'm known for, is is DNF. I I don't DNF as much as people like joke about, but I'm not afraid to DNF a book. Um, like I did it with, um, I've done it with a lot of series. Like I've DNF like Wheel of Time and Malaz and mm. and Stormlight and Ephion. Um, like, but but it's also there's also a downside to it, is that. Sometimes you DNF a book like too early. Like I did it with um, Dragonbone Chair by Tad Williams. I DNF'd it about 200 something pages in. And I look back now and I was like, damn it. I should have, yeah, I shouldn't have DNF'd it. I regret DNFing that book. So I'm going to try it again. Uh, hopefully at some point this year, maybe uh, towards the winter. Um, but yeah, if, you're, if, you, if you know anything about me, is probably that I DNF a bunch. <laughs> That's sort of the, the the legacy I leave behind. <laughs> That's I, I think that's great. Yeah. Honestly, I I wish I could DNF. Um, it, it just it saves you so much time and it makes you move mm. on to the next thing that might be even better. Uh, personally, I I succumb to the what is it called the sunk uh, cost fallacy or yeah, uh, where I. You know, if I'm 200 pages into a book and there are 300 pages more, I'll, I'll be like, well, maybe it'll get better. And I just keep going. I, I just <laughs> so much coffee. You know, I, I I put so much effort into that book. I might as well see it through. And most of the time it, it doesn't pan out. It doesn't get better. But when it does, you know, it's a little, it's worth it. But no, I, I wish it could be enough. I just can't bring myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because you think just yeah. one more chapter, maybe it'll get better. Yeah, maybe, maybe something will happen. Yeah, it'll get better. Got <laughs> yeah. a couple yeah. of those, and when it doesn't pan out, you finish, and you're like, "Oh well, it was a book." Yeah. <laughs> it was a book. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I just want to appreciate AP's comment here. Is <laughs> Valamina high? <laughs> so he says that's a thing that we that we say here. Um, it's kind of like how Canadians say a. Like we have, it's the same kind of thing. So, like, like if you're in Balamina, you always say hi at the end of every sentence. Um, we have another town uh, here. It's called Limavade, and everyone says "sir" at the end of every sentence. Sure. And people think, and people think it's like a joke, but it's like no. People, people from there genuinely say it like every other sentence. They'll say "sir" at the end of it. <laughs> at the end of it. It's so funny. <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm originally from uh, Southern Italy, and uh, English is my second language, actually. I moved to the uh, U.S. when I was 17, and the fil- we actually did have a filler word in, um, in Taranto, where I'm from in Southern Italy, and it's no. You just end your sentences with no all the time. You just, no, you just end it that way. And so whenever I came to America and I was, you know, actually speaking English as my first or trying to speak it as my main language, I would still do that. I would still end with no, which in Oklahoma, where I moved, it was uh, seen as very weird. And I had some friends make fun of me. They would, they would say, oh, no, no. <laughs> so I, I had to wean myself off of that. But yeah, that's a very common one down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From- 
from Italy to Oklahoma, that's a big change. Yeah, culture yeah. shock. Yeah. <laughs> what was the biggest uh, biggest change for you during that time? What was the biggest thing that you had to, to biggest adjustment you had to make? Um, I guess I think walkability was one of the big things. I mean, in southern Italy, we used to hang out outside all the time and walk around the city and uh, go to different places. You know, that was really not a thing. It was just malls, I guess, at the time. It was the only place where you could actually walk, but you had to drive everywhere. Everything was, you know, built for cars. Mm. Uh, I think that was a weird one. And then I guess um, high school was very uh, interesting. Um, I, I don't know if it's the same in Northern Ireland, but uh, in Italy, whenever you uh, go to a high school, you kind of pick a, almost like a major, where uh, mm. you pick a, an area of study. Uh, for example, for me, it was uh, it was called technical high school, which uh, with a uh, major in uh, coding. So a lot of my classes were built around coding and uh, HTML, CSS, all that kind of stuff, Java. Um, whenever and, and uh, engineering, that was kind of a part of it as well. So we did a lot of like uh, CAD and all that kind of good stuff, technical drawing. Um, so even you know the the math classes were built around that sort of stuff. Coming to the U.S., high schools are, for the most part, unless it's a private school, uh, they're pretty general. So I went to, to high school in the U.S., and they were still like doing things that I would, had done in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, it was a little uh, jarring. Just made things a little easier. <laughs> oh, I've already done all this. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. What about the food? Was it a big difference with the food? I mean, yeah, that's... Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that's got to be really tough. Too. I mean, granted, my, my mom being Italian, she still home cooked meals that were you know, pretty great. But yeah, everything else. The, a lot of things we couldn't find in stores. Things that now you can actually find pretty much everywhere in the U.S. Certain types of like cold cuts and cheeses. But when I moved to U.S. in 2007, it was you really could not find those. Hmm. It was not a thing. Uh, and Eric said crawl. You know, below your hand, and uh, have have you have you all read Crawl? No, yeah. I'm not familiar. I haven't read that one either, <laughs> but I'll add to my list because Eric uh, Eric said so. Uh, <laughs> Specter uh, had a comment. I try to stick to a schedule of sorts, bounce between three or four books, I try to read a chapter a week, different books, and for different days. So much watching a different TV show and movies each week. Yeah, that's really tough for me. I. For, a lot of respect for people who can do that. I can't do that. I cannot do that. <laughs> no. I only started doing that recently, but for a very specific reason. I read uh, Fool, I was reading Fool's Errand um, on the train in public, and um, some scenes were happening without giving it too much away, and I had to close the book and not read anymore because uh, I was just, I was like, I'm in public. I can't, I can't break down right now. So I started reading, you know, a book in public. I have two books now, one for public, one for at home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I swore off Robin Hobb from in public reading. I can't do it. Yeah, I've heard about Fool's Errand just by reputation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough read. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, as far as, you know, I can't do three full books. That's, that's crazy. I think the most it did was three, and it was really, really tough. Uh, but they were all very short books. It was uh, during uh, uh, Spiff of 07. I don't know if either of you are familiar. Uh -huh. uh, I know you might be mm -hmm. seen, uh, but 
I was uh, seasons of Autodome was in it, and um, I ended up being you know second place um, uh, semifinalist. So as we got closer and closer, and the circle closed down, I was like, okay, I got to read all these books that I'm I'm in this, the same round with. Um, so I picked up as many as I could, and I just I was going through them. Uh, that was actually pretty pleasant. I went through them pretty fast, and that's only because you know of the competition. I really wanted to see what books I was going head to head with. Um, but for, you know, more of a casual read, I, I can't do it. I can't read three books. That's crazy. Spectre, you're, you're uh, uh, good job. <laughs> yeah. What about you, RJ? Can you switch like that? Um, no, not really. I try to stick to one book at a time. I've tried two and two or three, but you know, it never works. I always usually, um, focus on one and leave the other two to the side. And then it would take, it would take me a long time to get through stuff. So yeah, I tried to, I've started doing one on audio as well. You know, I'm trying to get into audio a bit more. So I can do one on physical and one on audio pretty, pretty easily. You know, I'm trying to, trying to get better at that. Yeah. I, I have a really hard time focusing on audio. Um, I've tried a few, I think the narrator really needs to um, catch my attention. Um, I did, um, what was it, uh, uh, Fifth Season uh, on uh, audiobook, and that was that was great. Amazing, uh, amazing figure. Um, but I, I've had a few where I had a really hard time uh, focusing, um, especially for fantasy when there there's a lot of names and terminology. Mm -hmm. And the one, I mean, Fifth Season isn't a good example of that, uh, having, <laughs> having uh, all that you know, jargon, fantasy jargon thrown out like that uh, on audio. It doesn't really make for the easiest read for me, but um, yeah, audio might not be my my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah I get That's that. Tough. I do want to try, I've heard really good things about uh, The Lord of the Rings with uh, Andy Serkis. Um, I've heard great things about that reading. Um, I might give it a go just because I'm already familiar with The Lord of the Rings. I read them several times. Um, so that might be an easier, uh, easier read. Yeah, I hear lots of great, th great things about that one. Uh, my whole, my whole family has been listening to that one. So everybody nice. loves it. Yeah. Uh, and Darius said, yeah. as far as stereotyping, one of, uh, North, uh, New, sorry, New Zealand's iconic songs is bliss with the lyrics, drink yourself more bliss, forget about the last one, get yourself another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds about right. And uh, Derry, uh, RJ, you're too young to be allowed I'm, to say back in the day. I'm too young. Apparently, yeah. I'm too young for that. <laughs> wow, that back in the day comment really uh, struck a chord with some people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spectre says, oh, don't feel bad, RJ. I'm 47. Still not allowed to say back in the day. <laughs> whenever I say back in the days, uh, I was referred to whenever I was in Italy. So I'm like, back in the day. It's a different yeah. country, you know. I, I can say yeah. that. Probably yeah. feels like a different, like a lifetime ago. Really. It does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brandy, I'm 43, and I get made fun of for my teenagers when I use the phrase "back in the day." <laughs> uh, oh, uh, thanks for dropping by, Chadia. Chadia is internet's acting weird. I'm going to leave you for tonight. Wish you all a lovely day and evening. And uh, Bob, the bald booktuber, uh, Dragonbone Chair was legitimately one of my favorite reads of the year. 
Yeah, I keep hearing about, about Tad Williams. Um, he's sort of considered the bridge between the the classic Tolkien, uh, Terry Brooks into more, um, you know, German and authors like that. That's why I hear. And from what I've read of him, he definitely feels like that. Definitely feels like a bridge between between the two. Yeah, I really want to read some Tad Williams. I've only heard good things. Hmm. Pretty much most of my favorite booktubers that I've watched, they all rave about Tad Williams. Hmm. Yeah. We had mentioned audiobooks a few minutes ago. How has the audiobook for Seasons of Abaddon been doing, Christopher? Because I know that was a long yeah. process to put it together. Oh my god, that was it was uh, horrendous. I'm never doing it again. Uh, and, that was, and that was for a short book. I mean, Seasons is about sixty thousand words. It's a very short book. Um, but yeah, because we were recording it, my wife was actually doing the reading for uh, the female POV chapters, and then uh, my friend Michael. Um, he did a spectacular job with the uh, male POVs. Um, he did really well. I'm sure he struggled as well. It was his first time doing an audiobook. I just, I reached out to him because it was something he always wanted to do. And he has a, an amazing, amazing voice. He's really good. Um, and he did a great job. Um, we struggled. Um, I have a lot of recording equipment, um, but, but it's tough. It's really tough. Um, a lot of takes, a lot of, um, you know, it, whenever you do, uh, you know, you record yourself, not only, you, you know, you're paying attention to what you're saying, but you're mostly paying attention to the visual of it as well. Um, so like once you remove the visual and it's only voice, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's nightmarish. You're having to like remove uh, um, background uh, noise. You're trying to uh, uh, get the tone just right. And, yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't recommend anyone do it on their own. I, I really don't. Even though my wife she did an amazing job. She she really, really nailed it. But um it was a lot of work. It really, really was. Uh, I'm gonna focus on just writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've tried reading a couple of short stories in the podcast and even for like just like a couple of pages of a story, it takes forever because it so tedious so i have a lot of respect yeah. for people who do that it's really really tough yeah well also i mean we would just do like one or two pages at a time because i mean you're doing them so many times and doing several takes and by by the end of two pages your voice is fried or her voice was fried so we had to uh take it two three pages at a time and the process is so slow <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it to the pros for the for the second book <laughs> yeah and there's a hard hardback copy, right, of uh, Seasons that's available now with the map. Is that right? No, the, the hardback, uh, that was actually um, a little bit of an experiment. Um, mm. Amazon was actually offering um, for a little while uh, hardback uh, versions of the paperbacks. Um, and it was kind of an experiment they were doing. Uh, I, had it, I had it up for sale for a little while, and I was actually not very impressed with the binding. Um, and so I took it off the store. I just didn't want to, you know, provide a... Um, a subpar product to people. Uh, I just didn't feel it was right, um, especially since it was so expensive to print. Um, currently, we have a uh, the second edition paperback. Uh, just some updates on uh, fonts and uh, the cover is slightly updated, and it does have a map. Um, the map maker uh, Dewey, he's uh, on uh, Twitter. He's pretty big in the uh, map making community, and um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. He, he did a really good job. And RJ, do you 
do you refer to maps when you're reading? Do you look back on the map? Um, not really. No, I don't. I try. I try not to do that because um, I feel like it takes me out of the story. It can do that very easily. Um, but if I'm like, like usually I'll read the map beforehand, and then like if there's multiple countries, I can get get the gist of the countries and you know just so I know the names beforehand, mm-hmm. so I'm not going. You know what the hell's that? <laughs> you know <laughs> when you're when you're reading it. So yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I, I, I love maps for uh, like bigger scale things. But uh, personally, I mean, I, I always had a map uh, that I I kind of just drew it myself. It was very rudimentary that I referenced. But I mean, my first book, Seasons of Alderaan, there was no reason really to have a map in there, just because it's it takes place in just a single town in a forest. So what's what's the point of having the big scale of the world and, and reference points to other things? But now that you know the second book is about to uh, come out, uh, or we're, we're finishing up the second book, it makes a little bit more sense to provide that map just you know for the context of you know th- this takes place in a completely different area of the world. So I think it's important to have that context. But um, I like maps. I like to look at maps. I don't reference them as I'm reading. So I'm with you. Um, I usually just open the book, look at the map for for a couple minutes, and it's it's nice. I know that there are people that really love maps and really love referencing them. So um, that's why I, you know, that's why I included it in the second edition. Um, also, I I really I really appreciate transparency with uh, readers. Uh, I have reader polls every now and then with. Um, preferences on uh, uh, fonts, preferences on, uh, you know, uh, uh, personally, I never reference, uh, you know, um, what are they called, the addendums at the end with uh, pronunciation and uh, specifications, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Ars Arcanum, like Brandon Sanderson does, uh, where he has all this like magic stuff and runes and whatnot. I, I never reference those. I never even look at them. But I did have a poll for people, you know, asking people if I included that in my book would you actually reference it and uh the vast majority wouldn't <laughs> I think most, most readers don't even look at those honestly yeah. so I don't know I just okay keep it keep it to map and story make it simple you know so I was I always wondered what what how much information do you have to bring to a map maker to make the map for your book is it a lot of detail you have to give them or do you um do they just fill in the blanks or how does that whole process work? Um, so personally, I, I had a very detailed map. Uh, I love map making, not professionally, but I love, I, I would, as a kid, I was drew maps of everything. Um, I used to copy like Middle Earth, <laughs> like the maps of that. So I, I, I love that sort of stuff. So I did have a map to reference for my writing. Uh, that's what I gave to the map maker. And then uh, what a map maker does is they transfer, uh, transfer the, um, you know, the, a very flat sort of uh, map to a more realistic geography so they add mountain ranges where you you know i added mountains where it's important to have mountains and then they'll, they'll add ranges and valleys and stuff like that where it makes sense geographically to have those so that, that's really what they bring they bring a sort of realism uh to the world they make it seem like it's geographically possible that this continent looks like this Interesting. It's, yeah. it's a cool job. I, I wish it was. I wish it was that good. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they look cool. Uh, Inspector had a question. How how do you know uh, when a, a book is safe for public reading? I'm I'm assuming this is uh, for me to answer, but honestly, uh, any reader can answer this as well. If a book is you know mm -hmm. good enough to read, it's it's safe for public reading, and and that <laughs> seems like a simplistic answer, but like you know personally for seasons of all the Dawn, I we went through three different editing passes ourselves, and it was sent out to readers. Once the readers read it and they barely have anything to say, most of most of the reader notes that we did receive were just a, a couple minor plot holes or um, one of the big ones was um, I had currency, uh, you know, gold currency in the, in the story. And uh, some of the things that that currency could purchase didn't really make sense based on other purchases that were made. So they wanted a little bit more specification of, oh, what is this currency uh, worth in, in the world? So stuff like that, a little bit of world building stuff. But the moment our readers stop re returning, you know, very big character and story notes, that's when I, or grammar notes at all, that's when I start realizing, oh, okay, I think this is ready. So I think it, yeah, readers, readers are the most important part of uh, getting a story ready to go because they're, they're your audience. What about you, RJ? Uh, how do you know if you're, if you're reading a book, do you know what, are there certain books you wouldn't read in public? Um. I don't know. I don't really read in public, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I I just read at home basically. If I'm if I'm out in public, it's probably going to be an audiobook. If I'm reading anything, hmm. um, so yeah. So I don't know if I'd be out with full errand reading it um, <laughs> from from reputation. So um, yeah, but if I'm yeah, I definitely wouldn't do that if I know it's a book, like if it's the last book in a series or something like that, and I know. It, it's probably going to get emotional, like speaking, like I'm reading Speaking Bones now, and there's going to be some some heavy emotions <laughs> at the end of that book. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I actually think I mis misunderstood that question a little bit because um, Spectre actually just uh, re rephrased the question a little bit, and with your answer, RJ, I understand a little bit more what they meant. Uh, how do you know if it's ready to? <laughs> Right in public. Yeah, I have no idea. I think you just kind of have to dive in. <laughs> I think a lot of times people will, you know, just from the general conversation of uh, a series, you, like I should have known better. I've already cried several times before at, you know, both uh, uh, the Farcer trilogy and Live Ship. I should have known better than to read Fool's Errand in public. <laughs> That's on me. But when it comes to series that you know not a lot of people have read, I actually in public I read uh, it's it's a non fantasy non fiction uh, book called uh, Radium Girls. I don't know if either of you are familiar with it. It's actually uh, it's about um, it took I want to say it was like uh, the 1930s uh, World War II. Uh, there were um, uh, factories in the United States where uh, these young women they would go and they would paint um these um what are they called like uh, like dials for uh, uh airplanes for aircraft for uh, uh submarines and they were they would glow in the dark and the paint that they used was uh, uh it had a radium in it to glow in the dark and at the time the public didn't know of the uh you know the, the problems with having radium uh exposure um so these they were actually taught to um uh basically they would do this thing where they would dip 
into the radium paint with her brushes and then they would use her teeth to like make the paint or the brush really thin the bristles of the brush and then they would like paint these little dials and uh pretty much like all of them died of radium poisoning and there was like this whole like court case and uh it's it was very heartbreaking and i knew that it was a heavy subject matter but not being a fiction book i didn't realize exactly the emotional toll that it would take on me so that was a that was actually a really tough one to read in public so i, I you really just never know you just kind of have to be prepared for anything what was the name of that one what was the name of that one it's called radium girls it's very excellent um the author did an amazing job just uh taking uh um you know they, they intersplice pieces of diaries from these girls with uh legal uh proceedings and uh, legal documents and kind of weave the story uh and each each one of these uh young women gets um kind of her own chapter to shine and you kind of get their backstory and then eventually how they die so it's very dark it's very grim um yeah no, it's it's a pretty rough read very good very good uh, and critical dragon is going to sleep good night uh, good night ap and uh brandy said i love the idea of having of our kids having more of a focus in high school we homeschooled our son until 15 at that point he was able to go to community college and choose film and now he is on to english awesome. someone went to film school um I honestly, I can't say which is the best choice. Homeschool <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was yeah. great. Yeah, he did time. get. Yeah, he did get his uh, certificate recently. So, started English. Uh, Robin Miles is fantastic. She is all of the NK uh, Jemison audiobooks. Oh yeah, she's amazing. She's so good. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I didn't do um, Broken Earth on audio, but. Um, I heard a bit of her narration and yeah, she was very, very good. Um, if I was, if I'm going to reread the series, I'll probably do it on audio just to hear her narration. Lots of love for the Andy Serkis version of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, hey, uh, that's a series I need to return to is, uh, Broken Earth. I only read the first book uh, on audiobook, but I would really like to get through the rest. Yeah. No, book, books two and three are they're they're pretty good um i don't think they for me they didn't live up to book one but they were still phenomenal like they're probably better than a lot of books out there you know i think it would be hard to live up to a book uh like fifth season just you know the impact that it had and um that you know the twist of you know the narrative voice uh, by the end that is it's just mind-blowing i've never read anything yeah. like that and so, yeah, I, I bet it's it was hard to follow that up. Yeah, and, uh, Legends of the Brave Bard said, Mad props for the dedication. I tried to narrate my short stories personally on my YouTube channel. It was a disaster. <laughs> That's really tough. Yep. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, Derry checks maps, and so does uh, Spectre. Uh, having an idea of where people are in relation to where I've been, where they've been, or the road going makes the story feel more real to me. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Get that. yeah. One thing I'm trying to get into is uh, not just world maps. And this is something that I'm actually working on currently for the second book. It's a uh, city map. Um, the city, uh, 
that the second book takes place in is very integral. It's a big city with districts and it's very uh, integral to the story. Um, so I, I really want to make a city map. I think that'd be really cool. I know that uh, series like um, like Lies of Lakumura, they have a city map um, and it looks really cool. I really want to do something like that. Uh, lots of people, uh, Crystal says, I check maps too. It feels that, I feel it helps me connect to the world and understand where and how everything is connected. And uh, Derry likes the pronunciation guides too. <laughs> and I, I never read a pronunciation guide. I haven't either. Well, um, I actually did a Malazan, but that's it. I will pronounce something wrong until yeah. I'm told otherwise, and then I'll get yeah. it wrong because I'm, I'm too used to it. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, like for for Malazan, it was like because I called it Malazan for for the longest time, and then and then you find and then people there's people who get really annoyed about that about about how you pronounce things, particularly in Malazan. And I was like, you know, the if the author doesn't care how you pronounce it, that's it. Like I'll pronounce <laughs> yeah. it whatever. I just I just pronounce Malazan because I'm just used to it now. <laughs> so. And yeah, the, and that's that's one of the things that you, you we didn't think about until much later. Um, you know, we hired hired our uh, audiobook narrator Michael, and we actually had to make a pronunciation guide for all the characters and all the places, uh, just so he knew exactly what everything was called. And we actually missed one character, and he kind of went with it. And uh, <laughs> I was like, "Sure, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> I do not. Care. Uh, I, I love this. I love the username. Reading Rainbow says, "I love the maps in Malazan mm -hmm. quite a bit." Yeah, yeah. I, I have referenced maps in Malazan because I was really confused. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't written Malazan, but I know it's it's pretty sprawling, right? It's uh, it takes place yeah. in very different locations, correct? Yeah, mm -hmm. lots yeah. and lots of characters, but um, yeah, but the the community, the Malazan community, has been really great with. Um, Copied us. We've had some live streams about you know discussing it, and all the people have been really helpful. So it helps out because it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still confused. It's, it's a very confusing series. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. How many books did you get in RJ before you DNF'd? Um, I got to Midnight Tides. Um, I started reading that, and I'm like, I realized that I was starting to almost dread reading it. And then as soon as I realized that, I was like, it's, it's over. So, um, you never want to but like that. I, yeah, but I love like Dead House Gates, like Dead House Gates. I genuinely think it's phenomenal. Like I love that book still. And even Gardens of the Moon, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, but books three and four, I think it started to, to slip, especially book four. I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of that outside of like part one um yeah part one and part four um but parts two and three were just nah <laughs> i couldn't do it have you read uh wheel of time rj i've read again up to book five yeah. <laughs> my, opi my opinions my opinions on malazan and wheel of time are somewhat similar in the fact that i love the first two books book three and four it starts to slip and the book five i was done so I feel like early Wheel of Time 4 and 5 might be my favorites, actually. And then 
after that is where it started to lose me a little bit. Mm. I was like, oh, I just got to keep reading because I know they get good again. And they did. Uh, 11 and 12 are some of my favorite fantasy books ever. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Scott the Bald Booktuber said, Queen Hall is a, is a safe is safe for me to read in public, but that's only because I have a black heart. And so <laughs> so uh, I feel that it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of Wheel of Time, and last time we talked, it's been almost a year, I think. Or no, it's been about nine months or so, Christopher, the last time we talked. Yeah, um, yeah it's, been, and, it's been a little while. And we talked about a little bit about the Wheel of Time adaptation. I wondered what, how did you feel about it now that it's uh, first for season's over? Uh, oh, oh, this is going to be controversial. I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I actually was, uh, uh, you know, very happy to be invited to the uh, uh, premiere when it premiered here in LA. I watched it on the big screen the first two episodes. And, uh, that was a really good experience, just because it was, you know, a, a lot of fans. The, the ex excitement was very uh, high. The um, I mean, th then it came out on TV. I, I watched it with um, with my wife, and she actually had, doesn't know much about the Wheel of Time. She didn't read the, the series, um, and she actually really enjoyed um, um, the TV show. Um, as a uh, you know, as someone who read the books and actually finished uh, a memory uh, of uh, Light, while well, I almost forgot the title, I, I, I finished the final book. Uh, I think a couple months before the series uh, aired. Um, and uh, I, I thought there were really good things that the, the that the series uh, the TV series changed, but um, there are other things that I really missed. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts of uh, the first book in particular is um, just how much the main characters are uh, referred to as like country bumpkins. They're mm. you know they're clueless about the world, uh, and I almost felt like the series made them a little too cool. Uh, they're they're not they're not as lame as I wanted them to be uh, because like I don't know they're so lame in the first book really especially on reread and you know you can compare them to where they end up and how you know badass they are by the end but if you start your series with the characters being badass already it's really hard to you know go up from there and uh, yeah I think that that's my biggest criticism. Did you watch that adaptation, RJ? Did you mm -hmm. watch the? Yeah. I did, yeah. Um, I was, I, I, I thought it was okay. Like, I, I enjoyed, like, I enjoyed a lot of it, apart from episode eight, <laughs> like most people. I thought this is a dumb way to end it, but whatever. Um, but I enjoyed it. Like episode, like episode seven, I really enjoyed as well. Um, for some reason, I quite, I kind of enjoyed that episode. Um, but overall, like, I was. You know, I was fine on it. Um, I'm going to watch season two because, is it because I get I get naturally excited for adaptations anyway. So like I, when yeah. when Hunger Games came out, I had read the books before the films had come out, so I was like very excited for those films. And Maze Runner was the same. The last few Harry Potter books as well. So I just get I just get naturally excited <laughs> by yeah, at, by at adaptations. Day, at the end of the day, the more fantasy TV is good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, we I don't. Yeah, we don't have a lot of it. So, it's, yeah. when, when we get something, it's it's always exciting. Mm -hmm. And our friend uh, Johanna's here. Hope, hope you're having a. Been, they've been traveling lately, so thanks for popping yeah. in. Hey, Joanna. I love Joanna. Awesome. She's so good. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's she's brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's uh, the, one of the reasons I'm, I decided to to dive in headfirst into that series is because uh, her and Philip and Philip Chase is they're really passionate about it. It's like oh, I want to see what all the fuss is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, are are either of you excited about the new uh, Lord of the Rings adaptation? Speaking of adaptations, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. You know, I think I think the big thing is um, that it's not directly tied to like a book, really. So they have like they have a lot more room to play around with for Rings of Power. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about yeah. it. Yeah, same. I mean, once again the more the merrier for fantasy adaptations um but yeah i think it looks uh it looks good what what they've shown so far the the teaser that dropped today um was really fantastic honestly i, I love the way the uh, orcs look uh, the world looks really fleshed out and uh really well made it looks very quintessential fantasy without you know borrowing too much from the, the peter jackson films uh and i, I which i i appreciate it's they're trying to do their own thing uh, while keeping the that sort of spirit alive, that high fantasy spirit alive, um, yeah, I'm very optimistic about it. I think mm-hmm. the look of the orcs was one of the things that appeals to me because it wasn't a bunch of CGI. It seems a little bit more practical, which made the the orcs look better. Uh, Dory said, "I like seeing adaptations too, but the excitement has turned in now to worry. The older I've gotten, and the more adaptations I've seen." <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I feel like I might be starting to go that way as well. But you know, I'm going to try and keep the excitement for, for as long as I can. <laughs> so. Yeah, especially with, uh, there's, it's maybe it's not even a very recent phenomenon, but uh, there have been many series uh, more recently than ever, but uh, even Hobb uh, has done it, even uh, Erickson has done it, where uh, the writing style is a little bit hard to adapt. I just can't see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Elderlings adaptation just because of that first uh, person point of view and that unreliable, unreliable narrator. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, we're we're, we're in, in Fitz's head so much that I don't think it would translate very well on screen. You lose a lot of personality. And uh, by what I know f- uh, about Malazan, you know, and, and how sprawling it is and how poetic it is, I just you know, that's another adaptation I just don't see happening. And I know that there are a lot of books, especially in the uh, independent scene, uh, but even some bigger titles that I just, I don't know how they would go about that. Something like the fifth season, for example. I know that there are talks of uh, adapting that, but mm-hmm. I don't see how that could be possible just based on the way that the narration is in the in the first book. And part of the appeal and the twist of, of that book is the narration itself. The fact that it switches uh, tone of voice, I just don't, I don't see how that could be adapted. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think, um, I think it would actually be easier to adapt Malazan than it would Farseer. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think Malazan would be easy to adapt either. But I think you could, you could get, I think you could get a better adaptation out of Malazan than you could Farseer. I think. If you try to adapt it, it you would lose the the heart of the series. I think if you didn't have like internal monologues mm-hmm. like on screen, which just doesn't work, you know, when it comes to when it comes to TV. Darius uh, said, "Hobbs underlings, I don't think could work, but just the life ship life ship mm-hmm. trilogy could." Oh, life ship could work. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, once again, that's the 
non first person point of view uh, trilogy. So it would uh, it, it could work. It's a little yeah. bit less uh, personal. Uh, Reading Rainbow says, "I'm always uh, disappointed with adaptations when I read the book first. When I watch the adaptation first, it's not so bad. Then usually the book only gets better." I think I can agree with that. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, had I had I um, had I read a Song of Ice and Fire before watching Game of Thrones, I'd be a little disappointed. Maybe uh, maybe not with the first season, but because I mean the first season is as close an adaptation as it gets. But yeah, I, I think I probably enjoyed the series more having read it after. Mm -hmm. What about you, RJ? Are you, uh, do you get disappointed when you read the book first? No, I'm the, I'm the opposite. I kind of get disappointed when I see the film first. I wanted to read, I wanted to read Dune before I seen the film, but that didn't happen. But I'm lucky enough that it's like, it's a, you know, the book is, it's two films just for the first book so you know i still have time to read <laughs> to read in before at least part two comes out so yeah i think we're probably a couple of years out mm, i think so 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 got plenty of time anyway yeah, they, yeah those movies take a while to to, to make mm. uh Jonas says i thought neil gaiman's books Coraline and stardust were better on screen uh 100 percent mm. agree with that yeah i've only ever seen um Coraline, I think I seen the film when it came out um, around about that time. I didn't know it was based on a book until like last year <laughs> when um, Baron from Your Brain on Books, his first video was um, a review of, of Coraline. So I, I didn't know it was a book until <laughs> until then. <laughs> yeah, I think Stardust uh, did to me what you were speaking of, RJ, where I actually watched the film first and then read the book, mm -hmm. I hated the book. I thought the book was garbage. <laughs> it was boring, it was, yeah. Yeah. Did not like it. And I, I know a lot of people love Stardust, so I'm sorry, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. But the film is great, I love the film. Yeah, I need to read Neil Gaiman. I haven't read any of him yet. I need to read, like I'm very interested in reading uh, Oceans at the End of, Ocean at the End of the Lane. Mm. And, um, What's the other one called? Never, Neverwhere. That's the other one. Those are those are two I'm most interested in. Um, sorry, Norse Norse mythology as well. I love uh, that's a really good one. I love uh, Sandman. I read Sandman. That was mm. it's great. Yeah. Um, the art style yeah. is fantastic. Um, do either of you read a lot of uh, graphic novels or comics? I used to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read too many, too many thick fantasy books. Yeah. Yeah. There's some great, there's some great books out there. Some great independent books. Yeah, I can't seem to get into graphic novels or manga sometimes, but um, I don't know. It's just something about that medium. I can't, I can't really connect with it as as easily as I do books. So, um, did yeah, you read? I, a, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I I, I understand. I understand what you would say that. Um, it is a little harder to connect to something like that, that, you know, it, it's, it's two mediums in one. It's, it's art mm -hmm. and, it's, uh, and it's writing. And uh, yeah, a lot of times I have to really slow myself down. If I'm reading manga, especially, I really need to like mm -hmm. take my time and soak in uh, the panels. Otherwise I really don't get anything out of it. Yeah. 
Uh, did you read Invincible, no. Christopher? I did not read Invincible. No, I saw. I, I've seen the show. Yeah. What did you think about the show? Oh, I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. I read the book, but didn't haven't seen the adapt the uh, the show. So curious. I know that the the show only adapts like barely like five percent of the the whole series. <laughs> not yeah, even. Hopefully, hopefully it continues. I'm not sure if it does or not. Yeah. No, sorry. The the, the only. No, I have read. I forgot about this. I actually have read a graphic novel, um, *The Walking Dead*. I've read mm. part of that. It was because I was such a big fan of the TV show at the time. Um, there was it was somewhat easier to connect with, you know, because I had, you know, I had the idea, you know, I had the TV show. So, but I, I actually really do enjoy, did enjoy the, you know, the comics or at least the first, um, the first compendium. Mm-hmm. Um, was the one that I read. So. Are you a um, are you a, a a Grant Morrison fan, Christopher? Um, no, not really. Uh, well, I haven't read much of uh, his stuff. I read a lot of uh, Alan Moore. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, not much uh, Grant Morrison. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Gaming has a bunch of adaptations, and the Sandman show starts August fifth and looks amazing. Oh yeah, that's that, that, yeah that, wonder how that's going to be to adapt. That must be kind of mm-hmm. tough. Yeah, they have to. Uh, it, it's such a visual, uh, visually appealing graphic novel that they really need to get really creative with it. Very visual, very uh, strange. They can't, you know. And, and I mean, when it comes to demon adaptations, I, I saw uh, Good Omens that did a really good job. Um, it was very quirky, very uh, visually, uh, you know, strange. Um, I think Sam needs to kind of push that even further to be successful. Mm. And uh, Joanna's heading out mm-hmm. early to recover from traveling. Uh, have a good evening. See you, and, Joanna. Uh, recently, Joanna had a video, and we had mentioned a little bit earlier about whether you uh, whether you picture what you're reading in your mind or if you just read. I wonder, do either of you have a visual when you read? Yeah, I do. Um, or it depends on how connected I am with the book. So the more invested I am in, in the book, the more I can visualize. So that's usually a good indicator of whether or not I'm in, enjoying a book or not is, is how much I can visualize. So like, for example, books like First Law, Faithful and the Fallen, um, Dandelion Dynasty, I can picture pretty much everything. I know what those characters look like in my head. Um, and there's other books. Um, definitely don't do that um like some but some series i love as well i have a problem visualizing as well like broken earth at times was very hard for me to visualize and um definitely parts of malazan malazan i couldn't visualize that much because <laughs> it's it's so epic how do you visualize that yeah. <laughs> you know some of those scenes it's just how can you comprehend it <laughs> at points <laughs> yeah. That's actually a good tell is if, if you're not visualizing it, then you're not enjoying it. It's, mm. That's fascinating. Uh, personally, mm. I don't I don't visualize anything. Um, I, I have a really hard time with uh, specifically with characters. Um, places, a little bit easier, but uh, characters specifically, I have a really hard time visualizing it, uh, visualizing them. That's why I usually prefer characters with a lot of depth. And, um, I, I love uh, Hob specifically because, again, it fits his head. Um, 
you know, it's not really about what Fitz looks like. It's more about what Fitz does and what he thinks. Um, I really appreciate that. But when it comes to actual picturing characters, I tend to associate a character with a, um, like a movie star or uh, an actor or something uh, that makes it a little bit easier. It's kind of, it's kind of tough whenever, um, then suddenly a character is described as being something that doesn't look at all like that because I keep picturing them as that actor. Um, that that's happened a couple of times. It's like, oh, they have this. Uh, oh, oh, they're a redhead. Surprise! It's like, like <laughs> I, I've been half of this thing that was never mentioned once. So that, that, that I don't know peeves me off a little bit. I, I'd rather books not describe their characters at all because it does not help me. Yeah. Uh, I rather, you know, make a, an assumption in my head. Uh, associate a, an actor or, or someone you know someone that, that I know what they look like with that character uh, then then have the book tell me exactly what someone looks like I don't know if that makes sense yeah it does yeah. and uh, reading rainbow had an interesting question does audio versus physical affect how much you visualize that's interesting um <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think it does. I think I find it easier to visualize um, physical. I mean, audio I can obviously visualize that as well, but I think I think physical I actually find easier to to visualize. Yeah, I, I would say the same. The little I visualize with uh, physical, I visualize even less with audio. If someone's telling me something, I it's going uh, over my head. I just don't have the the capability to absorb it. Yeah, it's, uh, I wonder. I'm, I'm sure everyone's different. How we, you know, how we, you know, process information, whether it's by reading or hearing things. It's really interesting. I bet everyone. I'm guessing everyone's different with how they how they interpret everything. But I think I never really thought of it that way. But I think audio may be a little bit easier for me to visualize because it's like someone telling you a story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I'm actually I'm audio booking. Um, this uh, historical fiction standalone called Azincourt by Bernard Cornwell. And I can actually visualize that a fair bit because um, I think it's because if it's historical fiction and you know the time period, you have a point of reference mm. in your head to that time period and you can kind of build off that. So I think it's, it's definitely easier with um, I think I think it might be easier with with genres that are outside maybe fantasy. Um, definitely with historical fiction, I'm finding that you know it's a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I recently read the book uh, Stoner, uh, and uh, that one being a uh, it's not you know it's not historical fiction. It's it's more just you know classic American literature, um, but it takes place in a uh, university, and. Uh, like the time period is something that, you know, we see all the time. It takes place in the early 1900s. So it's something that you, you have a point of reference for that. And it takes place in a university. So those are both things that are very, you know, I, I know exactly what those things look like. So I can, I can picture the main character as any professor I've had in the back, in, in, in my background or in my, uh, you know, that, that I've had uh, several years ago back in college. So that's, that's an easy one to do, but yeah, fantasy, Whenever I have to, especially something like um, I read uh, *Way of Kings* uh, early this year, and uh, I thought it was really good. But something like that is almost impossible for me to to picture anything, hmm. uh, just because it's such a alien, 
world. It's such a, you know, you, you have things like Spren. What the what the hell is a Spren? You have, uh, <laughs> you have alien uh, uh, biology, alien uh, uh, flora. Uh, it's yeah, that one was a tough one for me. Yeah, I sorry. I think that's where um fan art comes in handy as well. You know, because now you, if you see fan art, you kind of have a point of reference now. So it makes it a lot easier. So I think for those bigger series like Stormlight, where there's a lot of fan art out there, it can sometimes be a bit easier to, yeah, to fan visualize. Yeah, fan art was, uh, that was a huge uh, help. Mm. And once again, fan casting. Um, I, yeah. uh, I do the same for my own books, the stuff that I uh, write. I, I have a Pinterest uh, account just for that, where I, uh, I attach certain actors or uh, certain uh, photos of places uh, you know, to what I'm trying to picture. It makes it easier for me to describe the things. Yeah, I think that's an mm -hmm. interesting part. I think that's why fan casting is a thing for books. People are harder to visualize, so we drop someone who we think fits into the role. Yeah, that's, I, I used to do that because I used to read thrillers a lot, like crime thrillers. Um, and that's what I would do as well. I found it easier then to like fan cast people in my head, and then I would, and then you would find out you would read these novels and you would fan cast the same people. So it's like, and then sometimes it'll start to blend together if you read enough of them. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, those uh, action thriller stars or main characters uh, tend to be very uh, samey after a while, mm -hmm. especially for you know, there, there are certain authors that have written the genre for decades and uh you know after a while it's like yeah you're writing the same character even even if they have different names it's the same character <laughs> yeah. yeah come on tom clancy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh reading rainbow uh yeah, set, yeah uh, settings you can actually have a frame of reference for it is much easier to visualize in my experience magical things are hard to really grasp hmm. Yeah, no, as it was mentioned, the, the fan art is mm. so helpful, especially for Wave Kings. Seeing what people look mm. like, seeing what, what the, the sharp plates and the, the sharp blades and the, you know, that kind of stuff, the spren, the uh, biology. Uh, there was a one point where he described these trees that uh, bend with the storm, and my mind went so blank. I had no <laughs> idea what he was talking about. And then I saw, I actually watched this video. I can't remember who it was. It's, it's a big YouTuber, but they did a... Uh, a sort of uh, lore breakdown on uh, mm. Stormlight. It was like a non-spoiler uh, lore breakdown, talking about the biology and the, the way that the world works with the storms. Um, and that was so helpful. I watched that thing and I was like, I, I finally understand. I finally get what's going on. and I know what the picture now. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wish Malazan had more fan art because I, I looked at a little <laughs> bit of it, but it would have really... It would really help out a lot. <laughs> so yeah. uh, Brandy said I had to look up fan art for Billy Bumbler when I was reading The Dark Tower because I just couldn't picture it. Yeah, I'm still not sure exactly what a Billy Bumbler is. <laughs> Bumbler is. <laughs> I have it in my head. It's like this weird like raccoon dog type thing. I don't know. It's pr I'm probably completely wrong on it, but that's, that's how I picture Oi. <laughs> Have you read uh, The Dark Tower, Christopher? Mm -hmm. I have not. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but no, I have not. Have it. Yeah. And you're, you're a fan of it, right, RJ? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, big time. Uh, it's probably a top five series for me. I, oh, wow. I, I love those books. <laughs> I, I probably have an unpopular opinion as book seven is one of my favorites. Like it's probably my second favorite. Hmm. Dark Tower book. It's, I, I just love that series. And that's the only Stephen King I've read is, is those seven Dark Tower books. Um, I'm going to be reading 11.22.63 um, in the next few weeks. Um, I want to read Different Seasons, um, The Stand, It, Salem's Lot, you know, all the, all the classic King books. I, I really do want to get to those because I love, um, I just love King's writing. Like it really, it really stuck with me, um, you know, when I, when I was reading it. Yeah, the uh, 112263 is great. Have you read that one, mm -hmm. Christopher? No, the only King I ever read was uh, It, whenever I was uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, and it, <laughs> it scared me so bad, I, I could barely finish it. Uh, but I did, even though it's a bulky guy. Um, I really want to reread It at some point, just to see you know what if my memory of it rings true. Um, but yeah, definitely when I get into more King, I, I want to read a lot more King. Hmm. Especially once I finish uh, uh, Elderlings, uh, I can, uh, I'm a little bit more free of these, you know, larger series. I want to focus a little bit more on standalones. And I think King is a really good source of uh, standalone books. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, reading, Rainbow, reading Rainbow says, I visualize audio better, which makes driving while listening a bit hectic. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do that. <laughs> our friend uh pl stewart uh i think audio can really help with visualization i'm not a huge audio fan but the few i've listened to i almost i felt almost cinematic to me i could close my eyes and feel like i was there that's awesome yeah i definitely feel like if you have a you know vivid imagination like that um audiobook might really feel cinematic that's a good way to describe it yeah i wish right. you did that for me honestly yeah. Uh, they used to do story time at my neighborhood library. That was amazing. My son always begs me to make him make up stories for him at bedtime. Um, I was going to ask, uh, and this is something that I, I tend to ask a lot of uh, people that I do talks with, and, uh, just because you know we are kind of in a very popular fantasy scape, uh, and it's really hard to burst out of the fantasy bubble uh, a lot of times. But uh, I just wanted to ask, what was the most recent non-fantasy book you read that really uh, surprised you or that hit you in a way that, you know, a big fantasy epic hit you? Let me get it. Do you have any, oh. RJ? Um, oh, God. Um, I can't remember the last time I've read actually a non-fantasy book. I really can't remember. Wow. <laughs> I've just I've just read fantasy like the last two years. It's pretty much been all fantasy apart from Remembrance vs. Past. Like that was and as in court I'm reading now. That's pretty much it. Like it's a really it's, easy uh bubble to find yourself in. Um I went yeah. two years, you know, reading nothing but fantasy. Um and I, I really needed to burst that bubble. So I you know, I tried yeah. to do other things here and there, but I mean fantasy yeah. still most of what I read, but it's, mm -hmm. it's going to get yeah. a little variety, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm starting to burst out of that, I think, a little bit with obviously Remembrance of Earth's Past and now Asencourt, um, you know, trying to get more into Stephen King. That's going to 
hopefully I'll, that's me starting to branch out a bit more, you know. It's tough. Fantasy is awesome. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we read it. It's, I hope so. It's just awesome. Yeah, the uh, the last one I read, I'm, I'm not even sure why I bought this book. Um, it just I forget why, but uh, Negative Space mm. by uh, B. R. Yeager. Mm. Yeah. Really, it's might be the most unsettling book I've read. Yeah, that's on my list. Uh, I saw someone. I think it was like on TikTok. They talked about it, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds." That sounds like something I need to read. It is so good, so good. Yeah, I'm surprised more people don't talk about it. It is it it creeped me out in a good way. Um, but it, it yeah, it was a great book. Yeah, really good one. I was trying to not get stuck in that fantasy bubble and try to mix it up a little bit, so I just kind of pulled that one off the shelf and yeah, really good. What was the last one you read, Christopher? The last uh, uh, non fantasy. It was actually uh, Stoner. As I said, I read it earlier this year, and I was blown away. I, I I just can't seem to stop talking about it. I already reread half of it just a couple months after reading it. It, um, yeah, it's great. It's literally just I, I've never read a book that starts literally the first paragraph of the book is the main character's death. It's just it, it's, you know he literally dies, and then it does a retrospective on his life. And so you know where this is leading. You know that that's the end. Um, but somehow it just—it's gripping. It's—it's uh, it's heartbreaking. It's—I I loved it. Loved every second of it. It's a uh, uh, very short. It's like about like 230, 250 pages. Um, yeah, I, I think I read it in four days. Fantastic. And that's by John Williams. John Williams, yeah. Okay. And I know I actually have uh, another book like his uh, that I really want to check out uh, called uh, Butcher's Block. Um, and uh, it's more of a Western novel. Uh, but I, I heard it's really, really good. Hmm. Yeah, he's just a very captivating uh, author. He reminds me a lot of uh, Hobb in the sense that um, he really gets into the characters' uh, psyches. Um, you, you really feel for the characters, kind of the same way you feel feel for fits um it really reminded me a lot of that hmm. i'm adding adding it to the cart right now mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think jimmy read that this month i think mm. that was his mm. he did. I, that was my uh that was my pick for him that was I, you? I yeah nice. oh nice yeah nice. yeah i got picked yeah i was actually very happy uh we, we spoke about it uh, briefly and he he seemed to really get a lot out of it as well mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah it's it, it, he, John, he does something that I really love uh, in the sense of, you know, not being able to really picture, uh, you know, people's features and uh, the way that they look. He tends to describe people by, in, in very poetic roundabout ways. But for me, that works. It, you know, it, um, yeah, it, I can't think of any at the top of my head, but yeah, he just really uh, knows how to, you know, describe the essence of a person without going into the physical details. Hmm. I really, really like that. I bet that's a lot harder than it sounds to do. I bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Scott, he's going to have to bounce for the evening, but a few thoughts as always. Thanks mm -hmm. for, uh, oh, for shining a lot on creators. Uh, thank you, Scott, for the kind words. Uh, Christopher, I'm not sure when I'll be able to pick it up, but I at least grabbed your book on Kindle in audio format and will immersively read that when I can. Oh, much appreciated. And Arjo, you're my boy, Blue. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Scott's a great guy. 
Yeah, he's really great. So he's good. Yeah. Uh, Brandy, I'm with you, RJ. Book seven is my second favorite after Wizarding Glass. Yeah, so um, what's your second favorite, oh, RJ? Oh, what was my favorite? Um, Drawing of the Three. Yeah. So book two. That's good. Um, yeah, n- nothing tops that for me. In, in Dark Tower, it was just getting introduced to those those characters. The content was it was just brilliant. I love that yeah. book. It's <laughs> a good one. Mm. I know you 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 DNF'd it. I did, um, yeah. I did it. At Wizard and Glass. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't yeah. I can't say too much about it. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's some uh, some directions the story goes into that I just didn't mm. make sense for me. It just wasn't into. I'm sure RJ, you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I get why people like it. I just mm. not not my cup of tea. Yeah, totally fair. I got a lot of a lot of uh, grief over that. So but, <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard series to continue on because the books are so huge that it's hard to continue up you know a thousand yeah. pages in a book mm, absolutely yeah. uh jerry says i've read and reread multiple times king's uh, chonkers it the stand they're so great mm. and the last uh my most recently non-fantasy was science fiction reread of the martian i keep hearing how great that book is yeah i need to read that yeah. i've only heard good things and I, I love the movie the movie was really good yeah that was a really good movie uh, Rita Rainbow, science, science, sci-fi is just fantasy with rivets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really need to get more uh, into sci-fi as well. I mean, fantasy once again, it's a hard bubble to burst. But uh, I did, uh, you know, there's some overlap here and there. I did read uh, uh, the Expanse up to book six, which was uh, I really liked it. Uh, I'm saving. I know that seven, eight, and nine are kind of their own little trilogy at the tail end. Uh, so I'm saving them for a rainy day, but. Uh, very 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 easy series to just binge through it's very easy reading but uh very gripping uh and then recently i read um uh, left hand of darkness by ursula k which um also kind of blew me away very short read about 200 pages but um yeah her writing is uh incredible never read anything like it but halfway through uh leviathan wakes now so oh nice it's, it's really, yeah Really easy to read. Really smooth yeah. read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you read them, uh, RJ? I haven't, no. I'm going to be reading them hopefully soon. At some point this year, I'll be starting Leviathan Wakes. Um, nice. Yeah, since I've gotten to sci-fi, you know, or I've started reading sci-fi, I've, so there's a lot I want to read. There's um, there's a book, a House of Sons by Alistair Reynolds. Mm-hmm. I really want to read that. Like The premise of that sounds really cool. So um, hopefully I'll get to that at some point soon. But the, that list is just too long yeah. <laughs> at the moment. There's so many, so many books you want to get to, especially now when you're diversifying. It just opens up a ton of more, ton of more books. And it's, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, we are just we are discussing uh, Leviathan Wakes on the 16th. So. Uh, Christopher, if you want to join us for that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to. Wait, 16? Uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. I, I love I love that book. Um, I love the the pivot the series takes after that just because, I mean, Love Everything Wakes, as you've read, it's, you know, it's almost a detective story. You, mm-hmm. you have that detective story element, um, the mystery, the investigations. Um, 
how I mean, I mean without spoiling it but uh, how it goes from you know that to this massive sci-fi epic it's 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 masterful it's so good and, uh, Kevin and uh, Jenkins, uh, yeah. book, book six was the last book i read um and uh it's it was my favorite so oh. five and six were my favorites did you see the adaptation i did it was yeah. really good I was a little lost at the end because I had to, you know, we were all, we all watched it together and we're like, what? We're confused. So we had to, I think if you read the series, you probably had a better idea of what was going on. Yeah, I actually finished book six right before uh, season six aired. So it was literally just like, I'm talking like days before. So it was literally just reliving everything that had happened. Uh, and I think it made a little bit more sense to me uh, having read the book, but I, I can see it's a little confusing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I think the books are better to be honest but the yeah. series did a pretty decent job yeah and, uh, Kevin Jenkins oh RJ is here I'm out <laughs> <laughs> it's Kevin being Kevin <laughs> uh, reading Augustus by John Williams it's good but very different from the other two yeah I want to read more uh, John Williams especially after Stoner um, yeah definitely someone to keep an eye on uh, reading Rainbow, I think the last non uh, science uh, fiction fantasy was called The Wild. I loved it. That was a mandatory reading back in uh, I think middle school for in Italy. That's uh, that's the Jack London book, right? I think, uh, I think uh, so. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's Daria... so many books that were you know mandatory reading back in uh, middle school and high school and. Uh, only a few really stuck with me. Uh, were there any that you guys remember from like middle school or high school that you still re you know re fondly recall, or were they all just homework? Um, I I re I actually really enjoyed. Um, we did of mice and men by John Steinbeck. Um, I actually really enjoyed that one. <laughs> that, that's that's actually that was actually a really good book. And, like I look I look back on it fondly now. I think at the time I didn't I didn't love the book, but I didn't hate it either. So, you know, for for sixteen year old me, that was, <laughs> you know, that that was best case scenario. <laughs> so. I uh, I loved Catch on the Rye. I loved that book. It was a fun memory for me. I'm not sure how how I'd like it now, but at the time I thought it was great. I think uh, for me it was uh, Frankenstein. I, I love Frankenstein. Uh, I loved it back when it was assigned in school and uh, I loved it even more rereading it out of school. But yeah, that's, that's a fantastic book. It still holds up. Uh, Darius says, I don't remember, I don't remember my last non SFF, uh, but my next one will be the mortal life of Henrietta Locke slacks. What do I, that sounds really familiar. Was, I think it was made into a series, if I'm not mistaken, like a TV show. Let's see. Uh, let's see. It's by um, Rebecca S uh, Sklut. Is that right, Derry? Uh, and there is, is Leviathan makes some TBR. <laughs> or Jay. Yeah, it is. It's on there now. <laughs> or it's on the, the whatever the TBR is. It's just a list and books exist on it. We don't, know, we, don't a, know, we don't know we don't know what books exist on it that they change from time to time so yeah. <laughs> yeah like the only thing i know for certain is the book i'm reading next 
like after that it's anything can happen <laughs> so uh, Ronnie, I enjoyed Brave New World in high school and Flowers of the Algernon. Uh, those talk with me. Yeah, I, I read Flowers in, uh, in high school. That was intense. Hmm. It's very I, dark. I read that one, yeah. Mm -hmm. And our, uh, our friend Taylor's here. Hey, Taylor. Who <laughs> catching the rye. Not catching the rye. I hate that book so much. <laughs> I get that a lot, and then I wonder, I should probably reread that. I should probably stop saying that to people They'll just <laughs> give it another read <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, uh, i was very lucky i actually took a uh, a graphic novel class and uh, we got to read a lot of uh, graphic novels so um, that actually kind of ignited a love for uh, for the medium um but i mean we, we read a lot of the bigger ones like you know watchmen uh, read for vendetta that sort of stuff but, uh, that's you know hence having read a lot of uh, alan moore uh, but we did read a few others that were really uh, interesting. Like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Blankets. Um, that one was pretty good. Uh, great art style. A little moody, but not bad. Um, but yeah, that was a really fun class. I like uh, I like those. Uh, you know that, that there's an option for alternative styles of reading uh, in oh, yeah. reading classes in certain high schools or early college. I'm surprised you read Blankets in high school. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little heavy. Yeah, it's a little uh, little, little spicy. Uh, we also read, what was the one? Um, oh, what is it? It's uh, uh, Pride of Baghdad. That's another mm. one we read. Oh, that one's that's, that's intense. Really? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a short read, but it's, uh, it's rough. Hmm. Highly, highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's very good. Well, now I have to read it. <laughs> Add it to the list. Uh, Dario Lord, I had to read Rebecca and Animal Farm for school and ruined both and ruined both of them. Uh, Henry Delax is the woman who had her extraordinary cells taken out uh, yes. without her consent and since formed the basis for almost all modern modern pharmaceuticals. Hmm. That's where I knew her from. Interesting story. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting story. Uh, I was made to read the great. Ex I was made. I was made to read Great Expectations in high school, and I actually quite liked it. Really liked the accented dialogue. <laughs> One of my uh, wife's uh, favorite books is The Great Gatsby, and I had to read that in school, and I hated it. So that's a point of contention for us. Uh, I feel like I need to reread it um, out of a school setting because I don't think it's. I don't know a very fun book when you have to write papers about it. <laughs> Yeah. I, I wonder if, if some of these books we would have enjoyed if, if we didn't have, if it wasn't an obligation, if it was just for fun. I wonder if it would change our enjoyment at all. Also, just, you know, diversifying yeah. the catalog a little bit might be interesting. Not, not just do classical literature that's, you know, Western classical literature and just, you know, expanding it to uh, non Western, expanding it to genre fiction. Um, why not read The Lord of the Rings? When, you know, it's, it's a classic. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's Oh, good. Good. I'm not alone. I love catching the rye as well. I'm not alone. I was going to say, oh, no, not, not you too. Uh, oh, and To Kill a Mockingbird was phenomenal, mandatory reading. Yeah, that, well, yeah, we had to read To Kill a Mockingbird as well, and I did not love it. Yeah. But once again, it, it's really hard to enjoy something when it's it's work and not, mm -hmm. you know, for fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
especially when you're a teenager it's just when people make you do things it's like no yeah. no not doing that you're just oh, just yeah. rebellious <laughs> oh yeah i i mean even even reading i used to love reading as uh you know a little kid um into my tweets and then it got to the point where um my dad wouldn't allow us to play video games on Sundays. Um, and that was only like, it was a reading day and it made reading the most miserable experience. And so they just, you know, make reading fun for your kids. Don't, don't make it a chore. Don't make it something that you have to do in place of something else that they would rather be doing. Cause then it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a tough, tough one. I think uh, leading by example is good because if they see you reading, they'll want to read too. Yeah. Uh, Darry, one of my favorite booktube series is the Naughty Librarian series of drunk classics. So much fun. <laughs> the drunk Greek Gatsby had me in fits. Have <laughs> to check that out. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I am popularly loved the reading of the Iliad and the Odyssey, and also the a the Aeneid. Um, I wouldn't say that's unpopular. I love those, and uh, you know, having grown up in Italy and going to school there. Um, those are mandatory readings uh, in, uh, I think I think we read the Odyssey in fifth grade. And then in middle school, we read the Iliad and Aeneid. Uh, and I, I love them. I was I was obsessed with them. I actually had a notebook and I wouldn't, I, I don't know, I was obsessed with the uh, storytelling, storytelling the uh, uh, epic poem. Um, so I would just like write my own epic poetry that sucked. Uh, try to tell like a very classic Greek style story, but... Um, yeah, that's that's a very hard uh, way to write, um, especially for a kid. But uh, yeah, I love the Odyssey. I thought it was awesome. We also had to read uh, uh, Dante, Inferno, mm -hmm. and uh, Purgatory and uh, Paradise, and um, I loved Inferno. Uh, the other two, not so much. But you know, Hell is more fun than Purgatory <laughs> and Paradise. <laughs> Have you read that? Yeah. Uh, have you read the Odyssey, RJ? No, no. The only the only epic poem we've read that I read in school was Beowulf, hmm. and, and the reason and the reason actually for that is um, so Seamus Heaney, who did the um, I think he's one of the more famous ones for translating Beowulf. Um, he lived uh, not too far from me. He was born in a village about twenty minutes away from me. Um, and I actually got to meet him like a few years before he died. I met him. Like oh, he came to our he came to our school when I was like twelve or thirteen. And yeah, we 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 got to meet him. He was a very big um, Irish language speaker. Um, I went to an Irish speaking school growing up, um, so I knew a bit of Irish, and I was talking um, in Irish to him uh, a little bit. And um, when he died. Um, I, we had like a big eulogy for him at our school and I read one of his poems out basically to the whole school. So, um, sorry, that's just a cool story that I have about, yeah, that's awesome. um, about Shiva Um I, I appreciate that a lot more now since I've gone to fantasy and I've gotten to reading a lot more. You know, something I look back on that I, I did appreciate it, I think, a bit at the time, but I definitely appreciate it a lot more now. So, yeah, Beowulf is—it's you know proto fantasy epic. It's that's awesome. I love Beowulf. Yeah. 
Mm. I wish I read it back in Italy. I actually wonder what the Italian translation is like. It kind of makes me want to pick it up just to see if it compares at all to the, the English. But um, yeah, we pretty much, when it comes to ethics in the Italian curriculum, we, you know, we stuck with the, uh, the ones closer to us, the, the Greek ethics and Italian ethics. I did read uh, Bill Wolf in America, though. Oh, you did? Yeah, it was part of the uh, high school curriculum. That's a that's a great story, RJ. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember, uh, in our classes, we had to read aloud as a class and make sure that we paid attention. The teacher would make each student read a paragraph, and she randomly called on you. That took the enjoyment out of it. Yeah, yeah we did that. We had that as well. <laughs> yeah, because you're always you, you, worried that you're next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is uh, not a very fun way to read. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Taylor says, I was supposed to read the Odyssey. Sparknotes saved me in those days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I still want to read Tolkien's translation of mm-hmm. Beowulf. I've heard that's really good. It's more of a prose um, translation, if I'm right. I didn't really see rather that than, Rather than a poem, which I think is what oh, Shiva Sini did. Uh, the Fagel's translation for the Iliad and the Odyssey are great. There is also some great audio there out there too. I did audio out there. Uh, the legend, uh, the local legend. I got to meet with Sir Edmund Hillary, who, re- who reached the top of Mount Everest first. Lovely bloke. That's that's an accomplishment. That's a, yeah, that's a cool person to meet. Yeah. Oh, that that brings me on to another cool story. Um, so the village that I grew up. The, there was a girl from there. She was the first Irish woman to climb Everest. Um, wow! And she and she came to our again our school after that, and we just you know she just chatted about her experience, um, going up. So again. Oh, for a small village, <laughs> for a small village, everyone comes from there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's crazy. Just, just people do random stuff, and it's like oh, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can have a chance to talk to someone who's climbed on Everest, I mean, plant yourself there and talk to them because what a what a I mean, I'm sure they have some wild stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love classics. Uh, reread Beowulf a couple of months ago. Working my way through the sagas and Icelanders now. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you read Northlanders, Christopher? The comic? No, Brian Wood. I'm, I'm familiar with it though, but no, I have not read it. Actually, I, I really want to get back into uh, graphic novels. It's been quite a while. I kind of shifted to uh, uh, manga a little bit. I've been reading through uh, things like uh, One Piece. Um, you know, everyone talks about One Piece. I know, I know. Um, it's great though. Uh, I read a little bit of uh, Berserk, um, which is also really, really good, though it's, you know, not for everyone. It's very, uh, very grim, very dark. Uh, and then I read, um, recently I read this one called uh, To Your Eternity. It's more of a newer manga, but it's uh, it was recommended to me as a, um, like a fantasy epic. And yeah, it, it, it delivered. It's a little bit smaller scale than what I was expecting, but it's um, very interesting, very intriguing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I hear a lot of people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very good. It, it, the reason why I read it too is uh, the sequel to uh, Seasons that I'm, you know, currently writing, um, someone had described this manga and it sounded 
way close to what I was writing. <laughs> I, need, I need to read this to see if it's, you know, too close. Uh, it, it was not, but uh, the way it was described, it was like, oh my, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on? Did you have a mono, moment of panic there? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the red flags were going off. The, the alarm I was going off in my head. I was like, uh-oh, did I copy someone without intending to? No, I didn't. Um, and uh, I recommend Saga, the graphic novel. I haven't read that one yet. I keep hearing it. Well, I read the first couple issues and just didn't grab me. Yeah, yeah, Saga's pretty good. I, I, I another one I would recommend is uh, you know, for fantasy fans, uh, Bone. Uh, really, really good. Oh yeah, Bone is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he does the he doesn't get the credit he deserved for all he did afterwards. He funded building hospitals and schools in Nepal, so uh, Sherpas who helped everyone else could lift their living standards. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I keep hearing about Berserk, so one of these we'll have to check it out. Yeah, I mean you have to really be in the mood. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's quite it, it, it's the definition of grimdark. Nice. It's it's as grim as grimdark gets. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's darker stuff out there, but it's because it's a visual medium. Uh, it's you know, it's right in front of you. You can't, you can't not imagine it. Yeah. Well, cool. I know that uh, we this the time just always flies on Friday, so I apologize for keeping you guys too long. But <laughs> just we get we get talking, and the time just goes. But um, well, first, Christopher, before we go, when can we be expecting the second book? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping uh, beginning of next year is kind of the goal, maybe January or February. Uh, but, you know, having a full-time job, it's, it's really hard yeah. to, uh, you know, to really uh, dedicate the, the necessary time uh, to writing it. But both my wife and I, we have full-time jobs. So unlike when we wrote Seasons, which, you know, we wrote it in like five months. Yeah. Um, this one's also, this one is, you know, it's much longer. Um, it's about... It's, it's over twice the size at this point. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to, you know, uh, deliver it to the, to the people that want to read it. But, um, as for timing, it's really hard to say. Yeah. I I'm, just want to get my little mitts on it. So <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. Yeah. I always, I just feel bad when I'm, I don't, I want to, you know, I want to read it, but of course when it happens, it happens and you know, I'll be ready when it does, but you know, it, these things take time. Just, yeah. just, yeah. So, uh, Christopher, where's the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn about you, learn more about you or uh, about your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm very active. Um, I, I like to talk about books. Uh, I, I make a lot of memes. I don't just talk about you know, my writing. <laughs> um, I like to have fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Chris R. Warman. Um, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. And I'll link uh, your website down below too. For awesome. uh, yeah, you. and RJ, where can people connect with you? Where's the best place? Um, so probably um, if you if you're on Discord, um, I have my my own server. It's called the um, it's called the Grimoire uh, Discord. That's it's a collaboration between me, uh, Baron from Your Brain on Books, um, Theo from Rekindled Reader, and Alex from oh, Talk cool. I Reads. So that's probably the best place to find me. Um, but I'm also on Twitter um, at rjgibson2806 and same for Instagram as well. So nice. I want to thank both of you for 
I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I was going to ask, do you do uh, like Bookstagram or is it just a personal Instagram? It's, it's basically a personal Instagram. I just tell people what I'm reading. Nice. So it's kind of a Bookstagram, but I don't put much effort into it. So, <laughs> so it's, it is what it's an interesting uh, medium for, for books. Mm. I know people that do it very well, but it's I, I bet it's tough to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is hard to those guys. Yeah. Takes a lot of effort. Mm. Yeah, a lot, a lot more creative than I than I am. So credit credit <laughs> to them. Yeah. But, but I want to thank both of you for coming by and hanging out and just uh, you know shooting the breeze. Really appreciate it. And of course, thanks to everyone mm. who came by in the chat just to just to interact with us and ask questions. It's always funner when we have the interaction. And and we hope all of you have a great weekend. And mm. we will see everybody soon. Thank you all. Bye guys.